Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Ah, I just saw you. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you guys. Um, welcome to Vox on this chilly morning that's going to get about 80 degrees in the afternoon. <laughs> I was excited because I put my jacket on this morning and I did set up and I was like, well, we don't need that anymore. Uh, I wanted to uh, welcome you guys to Vox. This is a place where you can come and uh, participate if you want or not. But uh, we wanted you to feel like this is a place for you to feel safe. Wherever you're at in your journey with, with, uh, with God, um, we want you to feel welcome here. I got a few announcements for you this morning, but before I do that, I want to introduce you to our community pastors. They're kind of in this area. Bruce is sitting back here. He's on call this morning. So if you need prayer, uh, Casey, I don't know if he's in here yet, but if you need prayer or if you need somebody to talk to, they're going to be in that corner during communion. Um, you can go up to them or even afterwards if you need uh, a pastor to talk to. There's there's Jonathan and there's Joanna right there as well. They wear these yellow, orange lanyards just to kind of be a reference for you guys. They're here for you guys if you need prayer um, or anything else. If you need to connect or if you need a connection uh, through Vox, we'd love to help you in that. Uh, two other things is uh, Christmas is coming. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, in other states, not here. <laughs> but uh, we are going to have a Christmas service, but we're only going to have a Christmas service on the 23rd. Uh, no Christmas Eve service. We want you to enjoy that with your family. I have never, ever had a Christmas Eve off. I've worked for churches for a very long time, and this is the first time I get to uh, do that. So I didn't. I, it wasn't because of me. It was because... Sunday is so close. Let's just do Sunday morning. Uh, we'll do a Christmas time, and then you guys could have time to be with your family on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So that'll be that. Our service will be at 10 o'clock, same as always. So that's coming. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing our, our Vox community meeting. So that's where we're going to be talking about where we're at financially. Joanna, actually our CFO, is going to be talking about where we are with that. I'll be sharing with you where we feel God is leading us within the next six to eight months. So we will be doing that right after the Vox service. We're going to end early and then we're going to walk over into a classroom because we want it to become a little smaller so that we can actually have more of an intimate conversation about Vox, where it's going, what we sense um, God leading us towards. And it's really exciting. We've been a church that has talked a lot. I think it's now time to actually start doing things. Um, and we're going to talk all about that next week. So please come. If that's not your thing, don't feel pressured to do that. But we want uh, to be able to talk about where we sense God leading us within the next six to eight months at Vox. So come. It's going to be great. We'll have snacks. Not lunch, but we'll have snacks since it's going to kind of go into lunchtime. But we'll, we'll be doing that. And then dinners, guys. We have dinners that are ongoing. That's a place for you to connect. I've got one in Long Beach. If you're willing to drive all the way to Long Beach, um, we're meeting, having dinners. And if you go online, you can sign up at voxoc.com. And it's the first it's the first thing that comes up. So you can um, sign up for a dinner. Uh, there's few happening around uh, Southern California. We have a lot of people coming to Vox from different areas. So there's some in South County. There's some here in, in Placentia, Fullerton, Long Beach. So if you are interested in getting to know other people, that's the best way for you to kind of get connected in, uh, in that area. So sign up for that. And that's all I got for you guys this morning. So look forward to seeing you guys soon. Take care. 
I have come out here um, to be emotional support for Ronnie for this message. <laughs> this is a this is a deep one. Just okay. help with my anxiety. <laughs> uh, no, we actually uh, I wanted to come out with Ronnie because we got uh, two good questions uh, that came in um, last week uh, that we're actually going to jump into. One of them I wanted to answer um, because it's kind of been a, a big kind of vision related one since the beginning that we started Vox. Um, and just so you guys know too, we get um, we try to keep up on these as much as we can. So sometimes it'll be a couple weeks before we we catch one just because sometimes we have a really huge question. It takes us a minute to get around to it or figure that out. But um, and even kind of something you said last week too, I think will be interesting. Like we'll kind of probably, I mean, I guess we call them questions. We'll probably make them more like questions and responses, you know, more than right. questions and answers. Because like we, I mean, there are responses to something and they're not our answer to something per se. Um, but I thought this one, uh, the question that I'm going to answer is more of a probably an answer of perspective from the staff about how we feel about a certain thing. So um, we're just going to jump right into it. So um, thank you, Ronnie, for your message today last week. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, I love how you said that someone in stage four, uh, that was uh, referring back to M. Scott Peck's uh, stages of spiritual maturity, um, can really attend any church no matter, uh, no matter their stance because their trust is not in the institution of the church, but in the right person. As we continue to trust in the spirit over the church, what would your advice be to someone whose heart is firmly planted in a deep love for Vox, but continues to feel called to remain in a weekly investment of service to another local church community on Sundays. Next slide. It is a challenge for me to remain in obedience to this uh, present calling of my life. This feels like a missional calling which fits into no traditional category, forcing me to trust Jesus although I desire to return back home to Vox. I pray, I hope and pray this is my growth into stage four. Thanks for your response. Uh, you are loved. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you guys that the first, um, I'm not that active on Twitter uh, on the Vox on Vox's page, but the first tweet that I even posted out for Vox was that you don't have to attend Vox to be a part of Vox community. I mean, really what this was, this entire venture of Vox is about becoming a certain kind of person, not necessarily the kind of place that we're doing. With the idea of safe to belong that's on the back of our shirts, we're talking about... Um, being a part of something that's creating a person that is safe to belong with, a community in which people can see as a beacon to the world and a light in the darkness. There's only so much we're ever going to be able to do with a physical space. This may not be the space that we're at for forever, right? But it does mean that this dialogue, this conversation, and this people will continue to move forward and continue to grow and continue to become safe. So for one, the idea of safe to belong is not a declaration of something that is, but rather of something that we are becoming. So a lot of what we talk about is that we are the kind of church is that, that is a people that is becoming something and in process of becoming something. So for one, that being said, if you feel called to go to a different church missionally, go. <laughs> like, I mean, we're not going to, yes. like, this place isn't going to be about us trying to guilt you guys and shame you guys and force you to be here for crying out loud. My <laughs> gosh. Like, like we read this and we're just like, yes, please go. I mean, I, I've, I've had conversations with people where it's like, what, what does, like, the, the ideal Vox person look like? I'm like, it's probably the person who isn't here. It's probably someone who's actually, like, gone into their neighborhood, is hosting church out of their house on a Sunday morning, whatever, maybe they're streaming it, but they're out busy loving neighbor and enemy mm. and like trying to be here every single Sunday and worship the system is the last thing that we're concerned about. And so for, you know, this... Come on. Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. You can clap for that. All right. 
So, yes, if you feel like you're able to go be a light in a different church because you're called to relationship, whether it's friends that are going somewhere or family that's going somewhere, and you feel that that's where you need to be so you can almost be in alignment with where, where God has you, then absolutely that's where you need to be. So the second thing to, to kind of address the tension that you, that's here that's interesting is there's this, it seems like there's a sense of guilt of, mm. well, if I call somewhere my home church, then that's where I'm supposed to be. It's where I need to be. It's where I have to serve. I need to serve. It's where I should be giving my money. Um, listen, you could be praying for these people here. You could come back and serve any time with us here at the church. You can, hey, you could still give and not come here. We're fine with that. <laughs> you know, so it's, you see, like, we're not, we're not going to come down on you guys and try to, like, hammer into you, like, well, hey, you know, if you really want to be developing community, then you, you really need to be here. Um, we'll advocate that, you know, your investment into other people and building relationships is the number one thing that we are most interested in. Like, the church becoming the safest place to talk about anything means that you're the kind of person that can sit with anyone and talk about anything, not just what we do here in the stage on this room on a Sunday. Come on. So, Come on. um... So yeah, if that's you, see ya. You know, in a good way, in in, in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. We like bless you. Off. We'll pray for you. Um, you know, it's like just know, like that's been one of the biggest things. You already have permission to go where God is calling you. Do not feel the guilt and shame of this idea that we've all lived in for a long time of just like the the hyper commitment to being a part of a place and not necessarily your commitment to people. Mm -hmm. So. That's my response Thanks, to that. It's good, man. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't realize I was going to have that much energy good, around no, it. I just. Good. Good. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so I'm going to walk off. Ronnie's going to handle the next one. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. It's good. Thanks, man. All right. Next question, which is a good one. Okay. I agree. Uh, this is based on last week's uh, message. So if you're with us, then you'll get it. If you're not, then you can go watch it. But I agree uh, that it might not be a literal six days in creation and that Proverbs is not ironclad or that maybe there was a local flood versus a global flood. These seem to make way for consistency with the nature of physics and history. But at what point do we stop taking things literally? Fire, flood, audible God, unburnt bush, multiplying food, healing, resurrection. Feels like I don't need faith for the things that contradict physics, but only for things that contradict biology. Why is this so? Or, or is this not a theme? Okay, so I'm going to answer this in two parts. So let me, ask, let me answer the first part, which is um, about uh, what, what point do we stop taking things literally? That's a good question. Um, let me start by saying this. If you were to walk into a library and and see a library with its collection of books and different things in it and say, everything in this library is to be taken literally. You would laugh, right? You'd go, that, that's crazy because a library consists of lots of different types of genres, lots of different types of writing. And so some of it you can't take literally because it's not meant to be literal. Uh, the same is true about the Bible. This is a collection of stories, a collection of books, collection of letters from different times and different authors and different people with different genres, different agendas. Yes, people have agendas when they write. Uh, and so to, uh, to take the Bible, the danger to take the Bible and make it be this one thing, uh, I think diminishes the value of what it is. Uh, to say the Bible should be taken literally across the board actually doesn't do it justice. It actually does a disservice to the power of what the Bible actually is. Um, I, think, I think the better way to read the Bible, now hear me this, is not literally, but literarily. So understanding its literal, literary genre, uh, and that's important. And so when you understand that, you, you get a, a different sense of what's happening. The other thing is, this, the, the Bible was written not in, an, in a vacuum, in isolation. 
It was written in the midst of different cultural and counter narratives. So you, you understand that uh, when the, the Genesis account was penned, it's penned in the midst of other creation stories that are not unlike God. So Tiamat, and, uh, and, which is the, a Babylonian story of creation, was one of the gods are angry. The gods want to destroy. The, God wants, the gods want to kill you, um, and you need to appease the gods. They're not happy with you. So then when the writers of the Bible came along, they, they wanted to show how, God, how this God, Yahweh, is different. See, he loves you. He wants to be with you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. You see, this is a counter-narrative. And so the people of that time and that culture understood what was happening literarily. They knew what the authors were trying to say to them in that time and that place. So we have to be careful when we're reading and we're understanding what we're reading and how we're reading those things. So I think what the question is, when do we start take, stop taking things literally? Well, you have to understand what you're reading. The genre, the, 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 you know, New Testament tends to be a little more literal when you look at some of the things that Paul says, like when he says this happened, we can literally say that probably happened. History, historians, Josephus, other different people will, will um, corroborate those stories so we know those things are true. Uh, but even still, in some of the New Testament writings, specifically John, who tends to be more, uh, I like to say John's more like a hippie, right? John's gospel narrative is much more mysterious than the others. Uh, and there's a reason, because he has an agenda. He, he's trying to tell his readers something. And it wasn't this enigma to them. When they, when they read it or when they heard what he was saying, they got it. It clicked in their heads. It was a callback to different things in their past. So that's an important piece of understanding how the Bible is written and what, mean, what it means. So that's the first part. Uh, the second part is where I'm going to ask whoever sent this to, to help me out a little bit because we were reading this. It feels like I don't need faith for things that contradict physics, but only for things that contradict biology. Why is this so or is this not a theme? My question to you is can you give me an example? Because I'm trying to understand what things biologically you're talking about. I could go on some, some different things, but I don't want to like I don't want to you know, make an assumption. So if you have some examples in mind, please send them in. I would love to answer them uh, next week if you can. So I'm not going to go any further with that question because I don't know what you mean. So send those in. Um, uh, we'd love to answer them. Uh, hopefully you hearing us answer that gives you a sense of like, hey, they really do care about uh, the church being the safest place to talk about anything. So cool. All right. All right, let's jump in. So here we are. We are in Luke 19, Luke chapter 19. Uh, this is a story about a man named Zacchaeus uh, and Jesus entering this town. And so uh, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to read it. I'm going to try to give you some historical background a little bit um, and kind of help you understand what Luke is saying. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll get the literary context of what's happening. So Luke 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. Uh, you probably, if you're not familiar with Bible culture, Jericho is the city where uh, they march around it and they blow the trumpets and the walls fall down in Jericho, right? This is a strategic spot in Jesus' day. It's a very wealthy area, uh, lots of tax collectors, lots of, uh, uh, of, of money being uh, brought into this place because it's sort of a central point in, uh, into the area. Uh, and so already Luke is telling you something about Jesus' plan. Luke is telling his readers, look where Jesus is going. He's going to the place that most people in this culture would avoid going. So it says, Jesus enters Jericho and he made his way to the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he became very rich. Now, needless to say, tax collectors then were viewed the same way tax collectors are viewed today, right? Not very, much, not very liked, uh, but it goes even further for these people because the tax collectors uh, were traitorous because they were Jewish people and they were in cahoots with the Romans. And there wasn't really any strict laws 
about how you could collect taxes. Essentially, you could just exhort ta- extort taxes from anybody that you wanted at any amount. And the money that they took, they gave to Rome a certain amount, and they were free to collect whatever they wanted after. So, you know, they're, uh, these, these people were uh, the worst of the worst in this culture, especially for Jewish people. They were, uh, nobody wanted to be around and nobody wanted to associate them with, with them. So there's a, again, Luke is telling you something about the story of Jesus. Look where he goes and look who's the main part of this story. Uh, it says that he tried to get a look at Jesus, this is Zacchaeus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Now again, Luke's telling you something. Short people, short in stature in this time uh, were not valued. They, they were less, less than. So if someone was tall in stature, they were thought of as you know, um, more regal and you know, they had more status. And so again, Luke is doing something literary, literarily. Sorry, that's a hard word. Um, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed the sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be your guest in your home today. Again, this is an important fact that you have to pick up on because if you're in Jericho and you're going to see tax collectors and then you invite yourself into the home of a tax collector, you see the different layers and levels of like scandalous that that Luke is trying to get across. And so Jesus said, I have to go in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly came down and he, he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Again, this is a narrative tool that Luke is using. He's telling you what the people were like in the midst of it. That, that dinner, that sitting around a table and being in somebody's house has political and social ramifications. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. The table motif that Luke uses, not just in Luke, but also in Acts, you'll see he talks a lot about dinner around these tables, these table fellowships is where we get the term from today for us. Um, This motif reveals the way in which Jesus subverts the system that he's a part of. Jesus is a Jew. These are very Jewish laws, Jewish traditional things, Jewish ways of thinking. And what Luke is telling you is that Jesus enters this system and subverts it in a way that people just could not believe. And so today, when we look at our world, we see some of the same similarities. And what this this culture creates is sort of an us and them mentality. An us versus them mentality, right? This is us, that's them. And yet the New Testament draws us into something deeper beyond just us and them. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning is this table motif. What does it look like to be at the table? What does the New Testament tell us? What does Jesus tell us about gathering around the table? So let me pray for us this morning and then we'll start. Uh, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the space to be able to, uh, to take questions and to answer as, as, as honestly as we can, um, to give perspective, um, to give insight, uh, and also to be wrong, to, to realize that we don't have the answers. And so we hold things loosely, um, but we trust in you. We trust in the person of Jesus, uh, that you have something greater for us, that you call us into to things that are deeper and greater than we could ever imagine. And so we're grateful for the space. Uh, we pray that you continue to help shape us and form us into your likeness. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, have you guys started Christmas traditions yet? 
Yeah? Okay. So we, we started, we have some Christmas traditions, and I just, this is too good to not show you. So we always do the Christmas pictures with our kids and Santa, right? And so this is Maverick's first Christmas. So this is a picture from uh, our first Christmas uh, picture with Maverick. And you can see this last, this was all of like two seconds. Dallas, super happy because he got a candy cane after. Uh, Maverick screaming his head off because he thought he was being kidnapped by Santa. So um, yeah, I just thought I had to show you that. So let me ask you about your different Christmas traditions. Um, Christmas trees, real or fake? Who's real? Real. Yeah. Who's fake? Okay, I'm, I'm a fake. I do a fake because I can't afford Christmas trees every time, right? Right? You're, we're the smart people. We're frugal. All right. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, see, this is my point. This is getting exactly to what I'm getting at. I'll get there. Just give me a second. All right. Home Alone? Or Elf? Home Alone? Elf? All right. How about Christmas Story? Die Hard. All right. How about this? How about uh, Lights Before Thanksgiving? Lights After Thanksgiving? Who's Lights Before Thanksgiving? Ooh, nobody. Lights After Thanksgiving? Okay. I'm not even going to ask when you take your lights down because some of you, January 15th, right? You're like, ah, we'll get around to it. Okay. So obviously these things are innocent enough, right? Like when we talk about sort of the different traditions and it's interesting how some things like this can become very divisive issues. Like very innocuous things, like teams, right? So if you're a Dodgers, if you're an Angels fan, my father-in-law, he's here, he's an Angel fan, you know, I'm a Dodger fan and we go to the World Series. We don't always win, but we go to the World Series. So, you know, and it's fun, it's fun to banter, but you you see like what can happen and and it's worst, right? People go to a stadium, get beat up because they're a different team. And you realize this is, this is dangerous, right? Political parties, we start to identify ourselves by our political parties, what you, what you believe in this, what you believe in that. I mean, religious uh, standpoints, when you look at, you know, um, uh, what am I thinking about? Denominations. Within Christianity, different denominations can become super divisive. Are you charismatic? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are, are, you, you, know, are you Calvinist? What, what, what do you believe? And these things can start to delineate and put boundaries. Now, like, here's one, this is funny, I had to throw this in. Are you like medicine or are you like essential oils? right right and people get crazy about it like if you like talk bad about either one of them people just they get crazy about these things which are very like silly things but we 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 tend to draw boundaries around the things that we are about and what happens is this creates this line that becomes us versus them right oh this is us we're over here and this is who we are uh, and, and this is what we do and that's them over there but you know, what's interesting, uh, when you look at scripture, when you look at Jesus and the life of Jesus, Jesus does something interesting. He sort of eradicates this, this them mentality. This us and them thing sort of goes away with Jesus. Because there's something interesting about creating us and thems. And, and, I, and I know this is because I, 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 this, this is true for me. It's easy to point out the thems because thems always knocks them down a notch and it makes me feel better about myself. So with us and them is a little bit of self-righteousness, right? Like I would never do that or I, I'm not gonna do that or we don't do that. And, and so we find ourselves delineating and putting up boundaries between ourselves. But you know, when you look at civilization, especially in the Bible and ancient Near East, 
tribalism. The, these little circles of us and them was just a part of life. It was a daily way things were. You're either a part of this tribe or you're this tribe or you're this tribe or you're this nation. And, and they put themselves in these little areas and, and, and there was war and fighting over the different tribes. Nothing has changed. Thousands of years ago, this was true. Today, it's still true. What happened within the Israelite culture, within uh, uh, the biblical culture, especially in the Jewish tradition, is there became these, this idea of clean and unclean. Now, this is an important thing, and so before we jump into any more of this, because you'll hear, um, maybe you'll hear teachers talk about unclean and clean, uh, it's important to understand what that means and how big of a deal this is. So I have this chart that I brought that I thought would be good for us to see. Okay, uh, so if you just kind of look at it for a second, you kind of get the idea, uh, things move to the right and things move to the left. So something can be uh, clean and it can move to unclean as sin and weakness and disease happen. Something can be clean and it can move to unclean. Now. The same thing is true with something holy. Something holy uh, can, move to un, uh, can move to common if any of that sin or weakness creeps in and it can move its way down. The only way to make itself go back the other way, are you following with me? Is through sacrifice. Uh, and sacrifice was an important piece in order to make something unclean to be clean, the same thing with common to be holy. So when you, when you talk about the temple and you hear about the, the priest, one priest going into the holy of holies, and that person had to be clean, cleansed completely, so lots of sacrifice in order to be able to make themselves holy so they can go in there, and only one person at the time could do that. The very foundation of their belief system was founded on this. So everything in their culture was about what was clean and what was uncleaned. But here's the problem. What happened when someone was not able to make a sacrifice? Because you to, in order to do a sacrifice, you have to add animals. In order to have animals, you have to have some sort of income. You gotta be able to trade, you gotta be able to have, uh, to be able to do these things. And what happens if you can't do that? What happens to somebody who was born with a disability, who, was, who got sick, um, who fell into hard times? What happened when that person wasn't able to sacrifice? What happened to these people who were overlooked and taken advantage of? Well, you see very clearly the system creates an us and a them, which was toxic and dangerous within its own culture. This is a big, big deal when you understand scripture and you understand what's going on, especially because Jesus was a very conservative Jew. So he would uphold uh, many of the, the laws and standards that you would see, right? Here's an interesting thought. I didn't, I didn't ever think, this never hit my mind until recently. Um, Jesus never sat down to eat with Gentiles because it wasn't prohibited. In fact, very few times do you actually see Jesus minister to those who were Gentiles because it wasn't prohibited. And yet, in the midst of a system that created us and thems, he was slowly subverting the system in a way that only he could. You see, this, this biblical theme that is woven throughout scripture is this idea of tribalism, how people found themselves in their own isolated way and it became us and them. So now let's take what we know about tribalism, uh, clean and unclean, and now let's look at the story of Zacchaeus. Now come back. So we got Zach and Jesus, right? Zach is the, uh, he's, he's the worst of the worst. He's the them. If there was ever a them, it's Zacchaeus. And so Luke is telling you something about the culture, about this 
this dangerous mindset of us versus them because nobody, no self-respecting Jewish person in this time would have ever thought that somebody like Zacchaeus had the right to hear the gospel. They should never have had an opportunity to come and experience the goodness of Jesus because they're, they're criminals, they're crooks, they're thugs. They steal from us, they're traitorous, no way. And what is Luke telling you? Jesus goes out of his way to a place that was very much a them place to see a man who was unclean. He's unclean. There's no way. There's no way that he would be allowed to be in because of his uncleanliness. And then he invites himself to the table, to the most sacred, intimate part of a Jewish person's life. Jesus goes to the thems. Because for Jesus, there is no us and them. And so he is subverting the culture and the system in which he is. Now, here's the thing you have to know. Whenever you begin to subvert a culture and you begin to do something like Jesus, rest assured, people are going to be upset. When you start to rattle the cages, when you start to shake the foundations that create these, these systems that say, no, this is where we're at, this is us, this is them, people get upset. You don't believe me? Look what it says. It says, but the people were displeased that he asked to go to be with Zacchaeus. Can you believe this? This is Jesus, the miracle worker, who's been going around the countryside healing, talking about love, mercy, and grace, and God. And then all of a sudden, he goes to Jericho, a them place, to the unclean and says, I have to come and sit at your table. And it says, he's gone to the guest of a notorious sinner and they grumbled. They grumbled. Whenever you begin to subvert the culture and shake the system, people are gonna be upset. They're gonna hold on super tight to their toxic tribalism. No. It's gotta be delineated this way. It's gotta be this. Jesus dismantles this system in the only way that he can. You gotta love it, right? Because he does something so in the face of those people who, who just couldn't handle it, right? The self-righteous, um, religious, I got this, we're in, you're out kind of mentality. Jesus goes, I'm gonna show you something, come with me, we're gonna go to Jericho. And everybody's like, why are we going to Jericho? And he's like, oh, I got a plan. Go to Jericho, oh, there's tax collectors. He sees Zacchaeus, comes down, Zacchaeus, we're gonna hang out. And everybody around is like, what is he doing? He's subverting the culture and the system that he's in. Now, let's talk about the table for a second because this is a central motif in Luke's narrative. He talks about the table over and over again. You'll remember the story where Jesus says, you come into a table and you wanna sit yourself at the head of the table. You wanna be at the right hand. He's telling these people, this is such an important thing. There's a lot of political ramifications. And it is, it's deeply political. Think about this. We just celebrated some holidays. Thanksgiving was one of them. We're gonna celebrate Christmas. Think about that dinner that you have. Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. How sacred and how intimate are those meals? I mean, it could be filled with dysfunction, which I don't doubt, right? Because they're family. And, 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 and for your family, sometimes conversations can be political, right? Sometimes conversations can talk about, you know, religion or different things. It's like, you know, finance, things we don't ever want to talk about with family members. Those things happen at those tables, but they're very intimate, uh, intimate meals done with, with people who, who care, who should care, right? And the same is true in this day. These meals shared together, these table fellowships were deeply political, 
because it said something to those on the outside. It said who was in and who was out. In order to sit at a table, to be invited in, you had to be clean, ceremonially, right? And if you were on the inside, well, then you were in and you were good and God loved you. If you were on the outside, well, you were unclean and you couldn't and you didn't have enough and you were, and you were outcast. And so when you look at Jesus and you look at the, 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 the table motif, Jesus constantly subverts the system in which he's in. He goes to eat with prostitutes, tax collectors, women, right? In a system that's highly patriarchal and all about men, who does Jesus reveal himself to in the garden? Women. Who does Jesus go and take at dinners with him? Women. When women weren't even allowed to listen to rabbis, you see what Jesus is doing, right? So today, when we, we've put women in a place where they go, women, you have to stay here, you're not allowed to, you go, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus was subverting the nature of the system that created us and them. And there's very much an us and them between men and women, isn't there? It's like, well, we're, we're this and that's them over there. You see how Jesus subverts that at the table. He takes the fight right to them with their agenda and shows them a different way. So <clears throat> let's ask some questions today <clears throat> about ourselves and about the us and them mentality. This is where I get, on, I get to get honest with myself. So this is gonna be a confession coming here in a little bit. Where do you see us and them play out in your life? If you think for a minute, where does us and them play out in your life? More importantly, who is them in your life? Who is the them? The people with cell phones in church. Those are the them. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It was too easy. The thems, right? Who, who are thems in your life? What barriers do you have in place to separate you from thems? Maybe it's intentional, maybe it's unintentional. Maybe you avoid going certain places. I don't know. But what are the barriers? What are the blocks? What are the things that you put in that create space from you and the thems? What would you have to overcome in order to erase that line? If there was a line about what you hold and what they hold, and this is us and this is them, what would, what would be required of you in order to cross that boundary? Okay, so here's my confession, right? I'm gonna share with you my thems. This, this, this is crazy. I was thinking about this this morning and I'm like, do I share this, do I not share this? But it's ugly, okay, it's ugly inside here. I'm gonna be honest. So my thems <clears throat> are the very militant, conservative, legalistic Christians. When, um, so we're on social media, my family, you know, we, we're, people know we're pastors. When my wife posts a picture of her with a glass of wine and we get the messages that say, are you a pastor's wife and you're drinking wine? Should you be posting that? Like, them. <laughs> That's the them over there, right? And thank God I'm not a them. I'm so liberated and that's us over here, right? I'm so free in Christ. So that's ugly. That's really, really ugly. You know, you might think, no, nah, how, how, that's not so bad. Or you might be like, yeah, yeah, them's over there, right? But here's the truth. I've got my them. I've got that thing in me 
That self-righteousness that somehow thinks that I'm better than them, you know, I love to think that I've arrived theologically because I'm not stuck in this old system. That's gross. Everybody's on this journey trying to figure this thing out, right? We're all trying to work our way and figure out what is this thing? What is this thing with life and Jesus and what is God calling us to and how do we love each other? And so the most dangerous thing for me is that I can put them in a place that I'm not. And I realize that that's very difficult for me to cross that line. Because what it means is I have to let go of my self-righteousness. So the barrier, the thing that I have to overcome is my pride and my self-righteousness. To be able to be compassionate and empathize and go, yeah, maybe they have a different look on it. That doesn't make them bad people. It just means that's how, they're, how they view things. And you know what? I view things differently too. And I'm not saying I'm right. And I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just different. And that's okay. And I could still have conversations with them. And I could still love them. Because, oh, ugh. deep in my heart, I don't want to love them. Right? I'm the people, when Jesus comes into town and goes, I'm going to eat with the conservative, you know, staunch, uh, legalistic Christians, I go, what? Why his house? You can't drink Jesus at their house. Come to my house. Right? I'm the one grumbling over there. And Jesus going, you don't get it, Ronnie. There's no us in them. It's we. We're here together in this. This is we. You see, Jesus shows us that, that there's power in the table. The gathering together, it turns the us and them into a we. It brings everybody face to face to look at each other. You know, we, we set up this table here sort of as a way to, to symbolize the table. And you know that at Vox, this is a part of what we do. This is actually the focal point of what we do, the table, the gathering together. What this table represents is the openness for everybody. It doesn't matter what theologically you believe, even if you don't believe in God. It doesn't matter whether you are are liberal or conservative. It doesn't matter if you were like, hey, I want to support LGBTQ. Hey, I don't know how I feel about that. That's okay. You're welcome to the table. Guess what? You're going to work it out together because there is no us and them. It's we. You see, we can divide lines and say, we're going to take stances. We're going to put up a stance and say, this is what we hold on to because this is us and the rest over there is them. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. We don't do that. No, we sit at the table together and we work out our differences together and we love each other and we care for each other. Because what precipitates down the road of us and them mentality is this dehumanization of the them. Before long, them is not a people. And we can justify our not compassion and not caring. And see, that's dangerous because the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. And who is the other? Well, the other is certainly not your us because it's easy to love your us. How do you love the them? How do you cross the divide and love the them? I'll finish here. When we allow ourselves to cross the line between us and them, it has the power to change lives, not just theirs, but ours. It does something to us. Just look at the story. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the thug, the them, the unclean, the worst of the worst, 
has a dinner set up table and Jesus comes and Zacchaeus stands up before the Lord and says, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I love that, if I have cheated people on their taxes, Luke's kind of being funny there, right? I will give them back four times as much. Now, I don't know what happened at the table. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we get to read between the lines there. They went back into Zacchaeus' gigantic mansion on the hill overlooking the city and there was, a t- there was a table set up, and they ate, and there was some conversation. Zacchaeus was changed because he went to the fullest extent of the law. The law said that if you were cheated somebody, that you could give back X amount, but the fullest extent was four times, and this is what Zacchaeus says on his own voluntarily. I'm giving half my possessions, and I'm giving back four times as much. Here's a man different than God, different than Jesus, unclean. And he sits at the table with Jesus. This is crazy. Because when you go back to that, that, that chart that I drew, where you had clean and unclean, the only way something unclean could be clean was if it was sacrificed. This is, this is in scripture, what you're seeing is something clean, touching something that was unclean and making it clean. That never happens. You follow? Never. Something unclean could make something clean unclean, but something clean could never make something unclean clean. Right? Follow me? Exactly. Jesus enters into the unclean and makes it clean. Luke is exploding the minds of his readers. Look at what Jesus does. For us at Vox, we sort of identified these tables in three ways, right? So we've got the corporate, the corporate table. That's where we're sitting right now. This is the corporate table. We gather here corporately. That means differences. That means different opinions, different thoughts, different ways of viewing things. But you're all welcome here because this table is about Jesus. And you're welcome. We have the communal, which are the Vox dinners. When you open your home and you have your neighbors and you have your friends come and sit at a table with you and you talk and you love and you care. This is the communal table. And then you have the personal table. This is that part of you where you have to get honest with yourself. This is, goes back to that question, who's the them? Maybe it's somebody in your workplace. I don't know. Somebody that you've, you've interacted with and you have them in your life and they're the thems. And this is the personal table. This is where you get to love the other. And Jesus calls us deeper into that. It explodes the dividing line that creates this isolation between us and men. And I'll end here. The Eucharist, the Last Supper, the communion that we hold so dearly here for us um, has a history, has a power. For, for centuries before Jesus instituted the Last Supper, uh, the Passover meal was this uh, symbolic representation of the way that God saved his people in Egypt. And so for centuries, the Jewish people celebrated this coming together of family, family ties, familial bonds, other Jewish people together, only Jewish people, right? This is, this is tribalism. This is where we gather to remember who we are, us. When Jesus institutes the Eucharist, this last supper, he actually does something that is counterintuitive. He actually explodes this familial dynamic that says it's only us. What Jesus does is go, no, 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 I explode the family dynamic and I bring new bonds. 
Not just Jews, but Gentiles. Not just male, but female. He goes beyond blood ties and says, no, 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 no. We gather together collectively, all of humanity. We come and partake in Jesus. That's why it's so powerful for us at Vox. This is why it's the focal point of what we do. The Eucharist says, you're welcome to Jesus. We can agree to disagree on lots of things, but we come together around Jesus. And he invites us all to figure it out because there is no us and there is no them, it's just we. It's just we. We are together in this. I think this is what Jesus is calling us to. How do we live that out? What are those barriers we have to to take down? What is required of me in order to cross that boundary of us and them? Tough questions. I'm still looking for the answers in my own life to figure out how do I move past that because it's ugly in here. I get it, and I want to. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace that in the midst of uh, the ugliness and darkness that sometimes creeps out of me, um, you love me and you forgive me and you remind me uh, that I'm human too and that I make mistakes and that I'm still forgiven and loved by you, which gives me the ability to to share that grace towards others when I'm hurt, when I'm harmed, uh, when I'm frustrated, when I'm upset. God, I pray for this community of people who gathered and who are in search of who you are and more of what it looks like to be a Jesus person. I pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight Uh, I pray that you give us the courage to fight those things inside of us that hold us in our us mentality, to break down those barriers so that we can become more of the community that represents you and who you are. So we're grateful for this time. We're grateful for uh, the communion we're about to receive. Um, Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray, amen. So here we go. Um, The table is open. We have communion uh, in the room. Uh, On this side is gluten-free, if that's what you need. Uh, Our community pastors who have orange lanyards, they will be there to pray for you if you need prayer. Um, We also have these prayer walls that are up here as well, um, and communion will be served as well. So um, all around the room is set up for you to come to the table. And the beauty of it, again, is that all are welcome. So you don't have to have your theology correct. You don't have to have everything right in order for you to feel like you can take this. No, no, this is a gift given to you that you get to have. So the band's gonna play, they're gonna sing, and this is your time to respond around the room, and then we'll, we'll close out after that. So this is your time. Glad that you came. I'm excited for the season. It's gonna be great. Um, normally, we don't announce speakers who are coming because it's just not who we are, uh, but I'm really excited about next week. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Josh Sofair. Uh, he is from Jews for Jesus. Uh, he's gonna be come and he's gonna share about Hanukkah and what a Hanukkah actually means, uh, why it's celebrated, and it's not something that's often talked about. Now, uh, he's got a crazy story. Hopefully, he'll talk a little bit about it. Um, he is a Christian who's also Jewish, uh, raised in a very liberal, atheistic Jewish home. So go figure, right? Uh, And so his journey is remarkable, um, and he's going to share some pretty cool stuff. So I'm excited. So if you have friends who are curious, bring them. It's going to be great. Um, As always, before you leave, uh, if you'd like to participate and support what's happening here at Vox, you can do that. There's boxes here on on the outside. Um, If you want to do it online, that's easier. You can do that as well. Um, We'd love for for you to participate that way or serve and be a part of our teams. Um, Also, last, there are donuts outside from our junior high ministry, which would love to serve you. The best part about the donuts here, because they're church, there's no calories, so eat them. Uh, It's great. So, um, all right, we'll see you guys next week. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.